0: Well, good afternoon to welcome to A Reason for Hope. My name is Adrian. I am filling in for Dave Robson this week, and he should be back on Tuesday. Uh, but thank you for joining us here in our Reason for Hope studio. Uh, we are broadcasting from Tucson, Arizona, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. So we're very excited. Uh, we've been doing this for many, many years. Started on the radio, and now we're doing it as a live stream. And this is a basically a live question and answers program where you can ask questions about the Christian worldview, the Bible, how to apply certain passages. How do I know God is real? How do I know that the Bible has been preserved through time? Uh, Are there contradictions in the Bible? Is Jesus really the Savior of humanity or or the only way? Those and many, many, many more questions you could ask. And we have our in-studio experts, uh, our senior pastor, Scott Richards.
1: Hey, everybody. How's it going?
0: Thanks for doing this, Scott. It's a Uh, So many people I've run into over the years who listen to the radio program, the radio version of this program, uh, just really get a lot out of it. So it's really been awesome.
1: Well, it's uh, awesome to be a part of it. Digging into God's Word every day It does
0: get much better than that. Yeah, and I can't imagine how much it's honed in your skills. It's one thing to pastor and, and teach on a weekly basis, but to do a program like this every day where you're just constantly getting questioned on a regular basis really has to hone in your knowledge of God's Word, and also how to articulate. It's one thing to know the answers, but it's another thing to be able to articulate them in a way that people can understand.
1: Well, that's why we depend on the Holy Spirit's power to do just that. <laughs> if, if we rely on ourselves, we get tongue-tied in a hurry. <laughs> but eat, but, eat, but eat. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> uh, And of course, we have uh, Pastor Sean Richards here as well. Not-so-senior. Uh, Not-so-senior, the junior. I wish we could just call you junior. That'd be pretty funny, but probably not good. Uh, makes the paperwork complicated. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, there's multiple ways that you can chime in and ask questions during the program uh, you can join us on our Facebook page <clears throat> that's facebook.com at uh, forward slash at CCF Tucson and if you have a Facebook account you can actually watch the live stream and ask questions and we monitor it throughout the program so we don't take calls anymore but you can ask questions live on Facebook you can also Ask questions on YouTube. We live stream both the Facebook and uh, YouTube at the same time. And uh, speaking of tongue tied, <clears throat> and uh, if you do follow us on some of these social media platforms, we really, really appreciate if you could subscribe and hit that notification bell, like, share, comment, ask questions, even say hello. That uh, really helps us reach more people. Our YouTube handle is at a reason for hope five forty six. I would encourage you to. Follow Pastor Scott Richards on Twitter. You can even ask questions by tweeting them out to Scott as as a public tweet, and uh, we'll monitor those and get to them when we can, even if you can't watch the live stream from Twitter. I'd encourage you to do that, and his Twitter handle is at ScottR4H. Of course, that's Twitter. And uh, if you kind of shy away from social media and prefer to watch the program Without a social media platform, you can do so at our website. Go to Fellowship.com and hit the Watch Live tab, and you can actually uh, watch this live stream, and as well as all our services, make prayer requests, ask questions, and we'll monitor those in real time and try to get to those questions during the broadcast. We also have an app, the Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson app that you can download in the iTunes or Google Play Store. From there, you can access a a nifty little digital Bible, go through events that we have upcoming on our calendar, you can watch or listen to past services or messages, you can uh, join prayer groups and chat groups, it's a really awesome little app, you can also if you're a member here, you can even uh, conveniently make your donations on the app. So I would encourage you to use that if you haven't already. If you want to just watch our services, you can also do so on the Amazon Fire Stick products as well as Roku. If you want to be a little more anonymous and <clears throat> don't want to um, engage on social media, you can just email us as well, questionsforhope at gmail.com. Before we take your questions today, we'd like to take a moment to pray and ask the Lord to be with us. And... uh that way we, as you said, do not rely on ourselves. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Let's do that. Father, I thank you that we can welcome your presence here. Lord, uh, thank you that you never leave us and never forsake us. But we need to tune in, Lord, and, and to recognize and realize that your Holy Spirit is present here to lead us into all truth. We pray, Father, that the grace and truth that are in Christ Jesus would be emphasized here, that people would get to know you more personally, Father, through your Son, as your Holy Spirit guides us into truth through the questions that are being asked here. And Lord, we pray that you would uh, sovereignly move uh, us to answer only the questions that you would have in mind in this ministry. Thank you, Lord. Uh, that we have the opportunity to do so. And what a privilege it is, Lord, that uh, this message can go out all over the world, guide and direct and bring to this conversation uh, those who know you and maybe even those that are on the outside looking into a relationship with you and uh, draw them to you, Lord. At the end of this, help us to be closer to you than when we started. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: I like that. Help us to be closer to you than when we started. All right, got some questions already. Yeah, great. Um, Well, why don't we start with... uh this question that we got that we weren't able to get to yesterday that I think would be good, and it kind of ties into one of the questions we dealt with this week about watching uh, media programs that do not uh, necessarily communicate a Christian message, maybe even the opposite of that. Uh, And this question uh, is revolving around the same kind of thing, and let me just make sure I got the person's name. Uh, This was Renee. Renee wanted to know does watching violent TV shows make someone not a Christian
2: yep
1: that's uh, that's what it <laughs> says in Romans 5 six through eight well, just, uh, well call let's the name of the Lord let's, and... let's just uh, settle down oh, boy. and not be reactive to all of this you know it, it is a really common thing uh, for people to say uh you know can someone uh you know engage and say some sort of uh, questionable Uh, activity, and does that define them as not being a Christian? You know, Sean, I think you were dead on as far as uh, the tack that you're taking on all this, because we need to ask ourselves a really simple question. What does it mean to be a Christian? First of all, if we're going to determine who's a non-Christian, probably should know what makes a genuine Christian uh, in the first place. What from the definition of God's Word, is necessary for a person to be a part of God's forever family. 100% sanctified holiness. <laughs> no. Sarcasm over. over. Yeah.
2: It's the affirmation of two fundamental truths. First, that Jesus is God, and secondly, that he proved it in a moment of history through a historically verifiable resurrection from the dead. Obviously, anyone competent with handling history can acknowledge those two things, but the moment you understand that not only happened, that not only notes Jesus who He said he was, but that that was done for me, that that's relevant to me, right. that's what makes someone a Christian, a little Christ. Now, obviously, the term and title of Christian is a little Christ, and so people expect you to act Christ-like, and Paul mentions this many times, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and saying that we should put off course jesting and... Uh, the sort of rudeness that colors the world. Yeah. And this is a quote, such is fitting for saints. Now, again, saints is a often misunderstood term as well. It's just someone who's in a right relationship with God. Yeah. And Jesus yeah. himself said that the way we're right in a relationship with God, the way we do the works of God, John chapter 6 says, is to believe in him whom he sent. Right. So regardless of your entertainment sources, regardless of the even areas of sin in your life, The Savior is what makes or breaks you eternally. So when we ask the question, could you still be a Christian and do that? Normally, it's being asked from the first-person perspective of how far can I get away from Jesus and still be in. But there's also this aura, and I'll just be straightforward about it, as if my sarcasm hasn't communicated that already, in the more accusatory position. And saying that could they be a Christian and still do that? Because I don't, and I'm a Christian. They do that, therefore, are they really Christians? Because they do things I don't do. I'm a Christian, but they do those things. The best place we always want to turn people to when it comes to this, in a positive or negative, is of course Romans, excuse me, uh, chapter fourteen, where it notes. Am I causing my brother to stumble? Am I walking under the law of love? Right. So am I taking into consideration what it means to be a Christian? Well, be is just a definition by nature. You believe in Jesus, you're set. What he did, how he proved it, and that that's for you. But what ultimately reflects that is another ballpark entirely. This is what we call sanctification or growth. Obviously, we're going to be more like Jesus, hopefully, than we were yesterday, but not 100% like him today. And if he has shown you areas of victory in your life where, and note this on both stats, you can either handle those sort of violent TV shows and it's not a stumbling block to you. That's the ballpark I come from. Or you just don't see a need to revel or approve of Romans chapter one style. The sort of things that this world celebrates like violence and sex and drugs and whatever. Either way, You're modeling something that the Bible would approve of. But when walking in the law of love, what would be encouraged if you're in the company of people who constantly talk about things that make you uncomfortable, is to call them up on an authority that every Christian should be under. And that's, of course, the law of love. Am I causing my brother to stumble by exposing them to these things, voicing the fact that you're kind of uncomfortable with the sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, gratuitous violence. That is something that they can say, oh, well, I didn't know. I am so apologize if that made you uncomfortable. We'd we'll be happy to note that. You can trust the Holy Spirit might convict them a little bit insofar as its influence on you. But on the other stat, we need to be correctable in the sense that if I think that someone's an inferior Christian because they either struggle or aren't struggling as much, at least in the way that I think, in areas that I don't necessarily, that makes them an inferior Christian to me because I've risen above those things. No, the Holy Spirit's brought you out of those things. We need to remember that too. So when it comes to what we take in, obviously Philippians chapter four is an important metric. Whatever things are good, noble, just, pure, of good report, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And obviously if you can't keep track of all those terms, just focus on Jesus. Right. Unfortunately, this world doesn't uh, offer Jesus as overtly as we'd like, so we have to sift through a little bit of garbage before we get to the diamonds. But the other stat is to make sure our hearts are in the right place and sane, not to judge or defame our brother in this matter. What matter? The fundamentals, what's actually important, and that is modeling the character of Christ to one another. When it comes to the things that we have been shown victory in, praise God. When it comes to the things we're continuously being shown grace for by God, praise God. Both are something that he can bring us through. But make sure that we don't put ourselves on pedestals because of A, what we don't do, and B, what we think everyone else ought to be doing, because that's just as silly. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and I think uh, one of the key issues that we really need to work through is a distinction between two aspects of the Christian life, uh, the Bible speaks as uh, being absolutely crucial in our walk with God, and that is salvation and sanctification. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the, the best and simplest way to see this distinction is to take a look at one of the key passages that we look at that defines what it means to have a saving, that is a genuine, real, born-again, r- living relationship with God, Ephesians chapter 2, verses eight through nine. For it is by grace, God's unmerited favor, that you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Uh, in other words, we are saved simply by putting our faith and trust, not in anything we do for God, not living up to any kind of moral conduct or, or character or anything like that, not uh, getting our act together. I've run into some people who've said to me, uh, you know, I, I've received Jesus as my savior, but I, I've got to clean up my act first. I've got to quit smoking first. I've got to, you know, you name the, the area. You no, know, no, no, give your life to Jesus and he'll take care of, of, uh, of cleaning up your act. Uh, it's, it's a fool's errand to try to clean up our act without having the, the power of God to change us from the inside out, mm. to give us a new nature, to want to do mm. those things that please God. But the thing that I love is this. We always forget this. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, verse by grace that you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, but the very next line in verse 10 says for we are his workmanship mm. created in Christ Jesus not by good works but for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them so that that's the whole area of what we do in response to having a living relationship mm. with God and you know we real, we realize that we're his workmanship the the word workmanship is really a beautiful word in the original language the greek word poema we get our term poem from it, it literally means a work of art um, you know, maybe seen the bumper stickers, God didn't make no junk. Well, when you are born again, God is making you into a masterpiece spiritually from the inside out. And so uh, we're not saved by good works. But we're saved for good works. Well, some people say, well, what are, are these good works? Well, I can think of one right off the top, uh, water baptism. Water baptism doesn't save you unless you've got Jesus in your heart. Uh, all you're going to get by going through the ritual of baptism is wet. But if you've received Jesus as your Savior and God lays it on your heart, yeah, I want to make this public declaration that I belong to Jesus Christ. Jesus said uh, you know, to uh, uh, the Great Commission that baptism was going to be a part of, of what it was going to be to be a follower of his. I want to get in on that. I, I want to identify as having died to my old self, being raised in newness of life. Not in order to receive this, but because I have received it. Well, there's an example of those good works, and the list starts going on as we grow in our walk with God. We learn the things that please Him. We learn to turn away from the things that do mm-hmm. not. But it's a, as you said, Sean, it is such an important thing to see. That's a process. It's not something that happens overnight. So for someone to say, um, can someone be a Christian and do X and such? It reminds me of a line from C.S. Lewis where he said, uh, you know, some people will object and say, why should I become a Christian? The biggest cranks that I know are Christians. And Lewis said, be careful about that because you don't know how much bigger a crank that person would be if the Spirit of God wasn't mm-hmm. working on them. Mm-hmm. You know, we all start at different places, if you will, different areas that God has to work on. Some are really overt and and obvious. Some are internal and uh, are going to take a lifetime to be able to work through. Uh, but... The, the, the bottom line, though, is this. When we follow the Lord, he is going to do this work within us, and sooner or later, these things are going to change. So if we look at a particular area uh, of sanctification, like you said, Sean, that maybe we've gotten nailed down. Maybe we've struggled through it. We've got it nailed down. But we see somebody else still struggling with it. Maybe you were a smoker before you, you came to know the Lord, and uh, you, you gave that up because you wanted to honor God. And then you see somebody you, you saw in a Bible study or a church service with a Bible, and you know they walked outside. And we've got a, a place here at our church where people who still smoke, kind of congregate, and, you know, run out there, and, you know, the, the fellowship of smokes, uh, we we call it. <laughs> but you know, the bottom, people in the Midwest call it the lobby. Yeah, exactly. But uh, but the, the 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 thing is, for someone who has had victory over that area. To turn around and say oh here's people who don't have victory over that area therefore they're not saved um would they want that same <clears throat> standard of, applied to them before they quit smoking mm. uh you know and and you can list the area of, of progressive sanctification if yeah, you want to use the high term now you're staring you're at romans
0: r- 2 where paul says whatever whatever standard you use to judge others by that same standard you'll be judged yeah
1: well so we gotta be careful with that mm. you know i'm i'm more concerned with the heart of somebody that is, uh, well, becoming a sin sniffer or part of the propriety police, looking for these external things and saying, oh, we got to, you know, somebody's having fun, we got to stamp that I out. I like
0: how Howard Hendricks worded it, professional fruit inspector. Exactly.
1: <laughs> I, I worry more about the condition of a person's heart who's like that than I do someone who is struggling, maybe stumbling, but wants to... Desperately, you know hmm. and, and to please Jesus even heartbroken over the fact that they they do stumble and fall in Certain areas, you, you know, and uh, you know, it, you know, I think of the uh, the parable that Jesus taught of the the Pharisee and the tax collector hmm. The two were in the temple the Pharisee prayed thus with himself "We're told the only one listening was the Pharisee he says I thank God I'm not like other men sinners extortioners or like this tax gatherer over here for I Uh, fast two times a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. I don't watch violent movies. So, you know, then, uh, you know, we're told that the tax collector didn't even lift, wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Hmm. And Jesus said, which of these two went home justified? I tell you, (laughs) the other one did, because everybody who exalts himself is gonna be humbled, and he who humbles himself is gonna be exalted. Hmm. The problem that we can run into and why it's so dangerous to be, a sin sniffer, if you will, is because we automatically sort of exalt ourselves to the point where we're evaluating other people. Now, that isn't to say if you see your brother or sister going down a path where the, the, the road's out ahead, uh, that, that you don't warn them about that, but you do it in love. You, you know, we're told in Galatians chapter six that if anyone is overcome any trespass, you are spiritual, uh, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness looking to yourselves lest you be tempted the the the, the, the bottom line of that is if you're going to be in the restoring business restore and correct people in the same way you'd want to be restored and corrected if the shoe is on the other foot mm. so and sometimes that can be pretty <clears throat> straight direct you know uh but it should always be with mm. with a broken heart not rejoicing like oh yeah i got him right now you know
0: is there a warning you could give us on the Opposite end of that spectrum, those who are self, maybe leaning towards self righteousness and uh, fruit inspectors versus those who I'm a Christian, I'm already saved, it doesn't matter. I'm, and are really flippant about the kinds of content they consume. Uh, What kind of scriptural warnings can we take heed that we not be so um, careless with the eyes uh, to our soul? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, windows to our soul. (laughs) You know,
1: I always. Think of, uh, of uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. Paul says this, I say therefore and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you've not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man who grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, I mean that, that's a that's a such a neat scripture because what it's saying is, is you know we're not going to get very far in this world by saying no to things we want to do. The only way we're going to get anywhere, I think, in growth in our walk with God is by learning to say yes. To something better, and we discover that that something better is fellowship with God, nearness to Him, you know, having that that peace, that joy, that satisfaction that comes from really knowing Christ. You know, then we're going to be getting someplace. But you know, as soon as we say "Thou shalt not," even to ourselves, our hmm. sin nature immediately rears its ugly head and says, "Well, we'll see about that." Right? Hmm. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Very good. Thank you for ministering to, to us on that because I think that's something that we. <clears throat> probably all ponder about especially when we're going to the movies and we're seeing non-christian or things that we would say well the bible definitely condemns that kind of behavior and here i am paying money to see it uh, how should i think about that so thank you <clears throat> uh I, let me look up the name here again i falcon falcon there it is falcon wanted to know um, how do we see distant stars in a young universe Is the universe young or old? What does the Bible say about the age of the universe? Well, the short answer is by looking up. You can see the stars right now. But the
2: (laughs) reason why, for those of you who aren't uh, in on your astronomy, is the fact that when starlight has reached us, we know that light travels very fast, but the universe is also very vast, to keep the rhyme going. When People obviously are measuring the distances of these stars from us, the rays of light that they're giving off have traveled more miles than I have fingers to count. And the amount of time it would take for those rays of light to reach us, for us to even be aware of the existence of those stars would have taken, as the modern scientist would estimate, billions, if not trillions of years. Now, obviously, this is going off of information that we regularly have to challenge on the program when it comes to assumptions that are made. We don't obviously say that the speed of light is altered or that, you know, there's just things that we will read into it to make it line up with the Bible. There is, of course a need for humility on both sides. There are factors when it comes to the universe abroad that we simply aren't aware of. We don't know how things function beyond our solar system apart from what we can take pictures of, or even, if we're lucky, very grainy videos. But the point being made is, when it comes to the reasons scientists put forward, these old Earth phenomena, distant starlight is one of them. We've had a guest actually on the broadcast many Christmases ago before I was uh, involved and what was interesting about the experience yeah, is Dr. That,
1: Russell Humphreys yeah
2: yeah that he uh, of course had his two cents worth and I'd say his two cents have gained a little bit even in light of inflation as far as their merit but all this then being aside when it comes to the reason we trust the Bible even at the expense of of well-informed, or even people who try to reconcile the Bible and claims modern scientists well-credentialed individuals. There seems to be this gemmed-up conflict between science and the Bible when the opposite's actually the case. There's more and more scientific studies and more theories about distant starlight and its interaction with us than you would oftentimes hear about. Um, Dad, could you give us a summary of that and just ultimately what the Bible says plainly?
1: Yeah, well, uh, as far as uh, light t- uh, travel time problems, uh, you know, there's a really uh, excellent uh, series of articles you can look up on answersingenesis.org, and you can go I- as deep into all of this uh, as, uh, as you would, like to know uh you know uh, the uh we had dr uh, russell humphreys on there uh we need uh, one of the things he pointed out first of all is a, a fascinating scripture uh that we find uh in uh, the book of isaiah chapter 42 and verse 5 it says thus says god the lord who created the heavens and stretched them out who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it and so on. Uh, in Isaiah 45 and verse 12, he says, I made the earth, created man out my hands, stretched out the heavens, and all their hosts I've commanded. Isaiah 48 and verse 13, Indeed, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth. My right hand has stretched out the heavens. Isaiah 51 and verse 13, You forget the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens. Uh, this, this idea of God stretching out the heavens is uh, a very interesting thing. And uh, one of the things that Dr. Humphreys suggested was this, that when God created the heavens and the earth, we see, first of all, the earth being the focal point of that creation. Then on day three, we see the creation of the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, and so on. And so what Dr. Humphreys postulated based upon Einsteinian relativity is that if everything in the universe was right here at the earth, if you will, and that God created these things around by, as Isaiah describes, stretching these things out, uh, literally uh, in a sort of a white hole phenomena, he described it. So a black hole, concentration, sucking of matter, white hole would be the opposite, an expansion. But uh, but stretching that out uh, almost in an instantaneous way, uh, you could, in a sense, uh, come to a place where you could understand why we can see distant starlight at this it's like point, like
0: smearing paint on a painting you just whoop
1: well it, well in a sense but what he said was and this is really where einsteinian relativity gets into it and, yeah this uh, becomes stuff. mind-blowing <laughs> and all this other stuff is that einstein showed that um uh, the faster an object travels relative to the speed of light the more time is affected in the process you know you've probably heard of those you know the the, the planet of the apes uh, time scenario violation. where, you know, yeah. you take off in a spacecraft, you approach the speed of light, you think you've only been gone a few months, but back on earth, uh, you know, thousands of years have gone on. Um, you know, the, uh, the, 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 scenario plays out in a number of different science fiction, uh, scenarios that, that we've seen. But the, the bottom line is this, is that time here on earth would be recognized and experienced differently than in the universe that is being stretched out literally at the speed of light or even beyond it who knows Uh, and and so what might seem like to an observer on earth a literal 24-hour solar day has gone on uh you have because of this time dilation because time slows down so much in that set of circumstances, uh, you could literally have the uh, seeming billions of years out there that uh, we see through starlight and time. Now, there's uh, been issues involved with that. Some other uh, theories uh, have, uh, have uh, been put forth. Uh, you know, once again, the, the biggest uh, issue that you have to deal with. Uh, is this. Uh, in order to say that distant starlight uh, disproves the Bible by implying billions of years, you have to assume that light has arrived here by natural means. In other words, there's no divine intervention involved at all in this. And uh, in Answers in Genesis, and the article on uh, about distant starlight, it says, such reasoning is no difficult, no different than those who reject the resurrection of Jesus because it can't be explained by natural forces. However, God created the stars supernaturally during the creation week. We see this described in Genesis chapter 1, verses 14 through 19, and made them to give light upon the earth. That was their purpose. Uh, since this happened during the creation week, God may have used different means to get distant starlight here than the natural means which he upholds in the universe today. So, uh, you know, the the bottom line is even for those who say buy into Big Bang cosmology, uh, you know, and say, oh, well, it proves the universe is billions of years old. They've got a problem because uh, there is a uniform temperature that the universe exists at. Uh, if the Big Bang cosmology was correct, uh, we shouldn't see that. There shouldn't have been enough time for this uniform temperature of the universe to be able to settle down and yet this is exactly what we see so uh, even those who reject a biblical point of view have their own starlight and time problem because they can't explain how you could have enough time for the universe to achieve this uh, stasis if you will as far as temperature is concerned and even entropy yeah. so to speak so uh you know the the the, the, the long and the short of it is, is this When we take a look at the Bible and the account of the creation, uh, you know, we shouldn't uh, hitch our wagon, if you will, to some particular theory. And that's the only hesitation I have, even with Dr. Russell Humphrey's theory, is that, uh, you know, right now the theory of relativity is well upheld by observational science. But there could come a time where we go, whoops, well, I guess that ain't so. And if I put all my uh, biblical eggs in that basket, like some who buy into Big Bang cosmology and try to explain the Bible based upon the uh, premise that this Big Bang happened and and that explains uh, the rise of all matter, well, there's huge problems now with the Big Bang theory. Uh, and, uh, and if we put all of our eggs spiritually in that basket, well, we could find ourselves... Uh, you know fighting the wrong battle if you will fighting our for our pet theory rather than affirming that when it's all said and done the the uh, plain sense of the scripture that we see for instance in genesis chapters one and two written as history not as poetry uh reading into the passage Uh, some kind of scientific theory is going to lead us in the wrong direction. We read out of the passage, for instance, the the use of uh, terms like uh, the Hebrew word yom with an ordinal, with a number after it. And we say to ourselves, well, everywhere else we see that with a possible two exceptions in the Bible, it always means a literal 24-hour solar day. And as to drive the point home, we see this refrain. There was morning and evening, day the first. There's no stronger way in language to indicate that we're talking about a literal 24-hour solar day Even before the Sun was created God would accommodate that for our understanding to be able to say to those even looking back To those times before the creation of the Sun the moon and the planets Yeah, God did that in what we would understand today as a 24-hour solar day So if I stand before the Lord someday and he goes "Oh, you know, the Big Bang was it I'll say, well, Lord, I stand corrected. (laughs) But uh, I would feel much more comfortable standing before the Lord and saying, you know, Lord, what I really tried to do uh, was not try to read into your word, but read out of it. And and that's why I came to the conclusion that I did. I'd, I'd be much more comfortable... Talking to the author of scripture from that mm. perspective, then say, wow, well, you know, there was a scientist and he was really intimidating, and people were calling me a knothead for believing in this mm-hmm. stuff. So I jettisoned all that and tried to read all this stuff in. Anyway. My professor
0: shamed mean, me in class. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly.
1: Anything you'd add to that?
2: Nope. <clears throat> Just quick recap. Scientists are coming up with more and more theories every single day, and the certainties of the past are now the superstition in the future. Mm. So when it comes to where you're going to put your confidence in, the Bible has withstood a lot more opposition than we give it credit for. But when it comes to how people are handling it, you can at least give them enough credit for doing a lot of homework with the information we have. But like I've told my pagan and atheist friends time and time again, whenever this issue comes up, when I was in school, the earth was for certain hundreds of millions of years old. Now the kids today are being told it is hundreds of billions of years old. So either we're a lot older than you realize or this isn't exactly a
1: science. Yeah, Yeah. well, again, uh, science checks out uh, when it begins to speculate on past events that no one was around to observe. Because that's history. Uh, Nobody was there to be able to observe a Big Bang. No one was there to be able to go back 4 billion years in the H.G. Wells time machine and say, oh, well, this is what the universe looked like. And note, Uh, if you say,
2: I don't know, I'll grant you that. But I have reason to believe that the person who was there knew because he then came to this world as Jesus of
1: Nazareth and affirmed Moses plainly. Yeah. Yeah. I can stand on that. And rose from the dead to give us the credentials to be taken seriously. So there you go.
0: (laughs) Well, thanks for your question, Falcon. Really great question, and also something that we should ponder when we're communicating our faith to those who have been raised by uh, the secular worldview. Uh, Next up, uh, Yari wants to know, 1 Corinthians 6.18, how is it a sin against your own body?
2: Yeah, the passage is, he who commits sexual morality sins against his own body, and it's in the context of addressing people in Corinth that would regularly involve themselves with the uh, priestesses of Aphrodite, or as we would call them today, prostitutes. The concern that a lot of people have, and you talk about it in terms of eyes as well as in physical uh, bodies, it's pretty straightforward, Yari, it's because it involves your body and it's a sin. So when it's a sin, it's not just against God morally, it's against us physically, because by nature we were designed, there's an intent to our sexuality, for monogamy and fidelity, yet our fallen sinful nature and rebelling of that seeks... The (laughs) exact opposite. Yeah, Yeah. infidelity and indiscretion. So... I don't know what else to add to that, but just note when it says it's a sin against your own body, it's not like there's this separate moral system of your body apart from God. It involves your body, and your body was made for a purpose, which is why the passage goes on to say, you were bought with a uh, at a price, therefore honor God with your body. Yeah. That's uh, noting that this is not one of the ways you do that. Yeah.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much. Uh try to make sure i get the names right lily lily wants to know what are the strong bulls of basham in psalm 22:12
1: bulls that what? were strong from the region of bashan well the the <laughs> it is a great question uh, you know when we get into psalm 22 uh, we realize that we are dealing with a couple of different things first of all we are dealing with a prophecy because there are things that david describes in this psalm that certainly never happened to him The uh, the agonies of crucifixion, if you will, are described in uh, some pretty interesting detail in this particular psalm. But as other psalms and even as prophecy, uh, we see oftentimes we see poetic images to drive a point home. Uh, You're referring to uh, Psalm 22 and verse 12, where it says, "Many bulls have surrounded me; strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging." And roaring lion uh, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint my heart is like wax it is melted within me my strength is dried up like a pot shirt. my tongue clings to my jaws you have brought me to the dust of death for dogs have surrounded me the congregation of the wicked has enclosed me they pierced my hands and my feet I count all my bones they look they stare at me they divide my garments among them and they and for my lots they cast uh, my they cast lots for my clothing now notice uh, an interesting thing here Lily Uh, there are a number of images that uh, David uses to describe what we would put under one category, the congregation of the wicked. In other words, we're talking about wicked people here. But David uses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a number of different images to describe them. One of them is the idea of bulls. Bulls are very strong uh, intimidating creatures. I can recall having a few uh, encounters with bulls uh, back during my track days when we try to take a shortcut across a uh, fenced-in uh, pasture and there'd be some of those Brahma bulls out there. And they're very aggressive and very territorial. And boy, one starts coming after you. It's an intimidating kind of a thing because you realize that, uh, boy, the business end of that bull could do you some serious harm. So, you know, the images of bulls of Bashan, Bashan is an area that is up towards the area around the Sea of Galilee, up towards northern Israel, the area up uh, even beyond that that we would call the Golan, uh, pasture lands where raising livestock like this was very common. And so the bulls of Bashan were known for being very strong, very healthy, very virile, very intimidating forms of the species. You know, And so what David is seeing as God moves him from his current situation to literally seeing what Jesus sees as he dies on the cross is the strong bulls of Bashan, the Roman soldiers, is are probably what is in view there. Because uh, these individuals were not just well-equipped and well-armed, but they were very well-developed from their training. They were very intimidating individuals, especially those that were on crucifixion. Detail. They were no one to be trifled with. So these strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. In other words, we see those surrounding Jesus here not just being described like bulls, but like a roaring lion. I've also had an up close and personal encounter with a roaring lion. Uh, where I went to uh, junior college in California, they had a uh, a division there called the Edom program. Exotic Animal Training and Management, or Edom. And uh, one of the animals they had at the Edom complex was an alpha male African lion. I can recall a couple of times playing softball out there where the ball would get too close to the cage. You reach down there and that lion would let you know when you got close. And even though you had a cage in between, that was a very intimidating, scary thing to realize just how powerful and large and intimidating one of these beasts are. Fearful creatures that are involved there. They gape at me like a raging and roaring lion. Notice it says uh, again, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. A dog was a euphemism for a Gentile in that, that culture. Uh, individuals that uh, were non Jews were often referred to a- along that line. Mm-hmm. So there you see the fact that when Jesus was crucified, the security, if you will, the people that ensured that he would suffer all the way to the end were like bulls of Bashan; uh, They were like roaring lions and uh, they were dogs in that they were Gentiles. Uh, they were very intimidating. Uh, they were very powerful looking and uh, hmm. boy, they would let you know uh, verbally if you got out of line and they wouldn't warn you twice. So that's what we see there in that particular image.
0: Anything you want to add to that, Sean? I, I spoke my piece at the start. <laughs> I spoke my piece. Well, three. Thanks for the question, question, Lily. Uh, <clears throat> I'm not going to try to say your. I, I don't know if it's uh, just a handle, but uh, username. Uh, yeah, Ashimi. If I <laughs> any ideas how I can make family Bible study enjoyable and not put my wife to sleep.
2: A wise man by the name of Levi Lesko once observed, the Bible isn't boring, you're boring. <laughs> so wherever the problem is, it, of course, would be to raise your standards. But if, uh, you know, communication skills are wanting, obviously just give them the opportunity to say, okay, well, where are you, first of all, at in your walk with God that you'd want to get into? If it's a time or season for prophecy, I'd recommend the Old Testament. There's an entire section of it, from Isaiah all the way to Malachi, discussing things that are just going to make your eyes pop when you are familiar with the gospel accounts. If you need the more fundamentals, the Gospel of John, 1 Thessalonians, and Philemon are always excellent places to start. And if you want uh, you know, good guidance, there are plenty of ministries that we could walk you through. The Enduring Word Commentary by David Guzik is a good resource, and uh, basically giving you the sort of insights, but it's also knowing your audience. When it comes to the sort of things that pique my interest, obviously I look for references. I look for uh, cross-platforming, if you will. When I see the Old Testament mentioned in the New and the New Testament illustrating the Old, I get excited. But I'm a weirdo. If On the other hand, you're the kind of person who enjoys, you know, history and you know events of war. The Book of Judges is an excellent example of that, as well as Joshua. If you want to get more into the expressive side of things, then Song of Solomon and the Psalms are excellent places to go. Going through a difficult time in life, Job obviously has plenty to speak to those who are hurting and aren't necessarily given answers as to why. But when it comes down to it, the Bible has a lot more to offer people than they give it credit for. The problem is it's oftentimes treated as a chore rather than a pleasure. If you become familiar with the Bible and you understand where your audience is at as well, you could engage with them on a level and personalize it in such a way where they will find it engaging. But oftentimes the problem isn't with the Bible, it's with us. And if we don't first ask the Lord for ears to hear his voice, then obviously we're not going to get excited by it. It'll just be words off the page.
1: Yeah. You know, the other thing uh, that, you know, and it's such a great question because a lot of people struggle with that. And they go, well, you know, I'm not a Bible study teacher. And, you know, how much do you do? And, you know, it seems kind of stilted and, and, and forced. Uh, you know, one thing I, I would, piece of advice I'd give you is uh, start small. Start small with something that is manageable. You know, you don't have to give a treatise on the entire book of 2 Thessalonians in one Bible study. Uh, but you can try what what I would suggest that you do is uh, maybe get a hold of some of the tools that are available out there that can help being in the word and prayer together with your wife on a daily basis. Something that becomes regular and consistent and that regularity and that consistency uh, can really be a powerful thing. The thing I would uh, would really suggest to you that uh, my wife and I go through uh, on a, a daily basis, we got a hold of a, a booklet uh, by chuck smith jr uh, that's not pastor chuck smith that's his son chuck smith jr called one minute meditations it was based upon the scripts that he put together of these one minute meditations that used to air on k-wave radio in southern california and uh... the thing that i love about one minute meditations is this there will be a scripture that you you go through the entire bible in a year uh... there'll be a scripture there and you'll read the scripture And then there'll be an application point that Chuck Jr. will share about that scripture, an insight into it. And so, what uh, Pam and I have learned to do is, uh, we'll uh, before we get going, uh, we sit down, we say, "Hey, let's let's just do our devotions," and uh, we'll read through uh, the one-minute meditation thing, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. You know, what hit you and all that? What was you know? And and just being able to share. Uh, some of the uh, things about the insights there, the things we find encouraging, the things we find challenging and so on, just in a really brief sort of format and then pray together, pray together. That's really, really key. And, uh, you know, if you use say a one minute meditation tool like this, and it, it's available, I can see, uh, here on, Amazon.com. Uh, amazon, uh, dot com, you can, uh, you can order it, uh, there, uh, you know, just, get a hold of something like that and start there. And if at the end of a year, you know, you've been able to make that, you know, part of your daily experience walking with God, uh, you know, a couple of wonderful things are going to happen. First of all, the word of God's going to get shared in your home. God's always going to bless that. Uh, you're going to get the opportunity to talk with your spouse about things that are more important than news, weather, and sports and what the kids are up to at a particular moment. Mm. You can get your focus in on, heavenly things, and maybe not so much on the here and now for a minute or two, you're going to get the opportunity to be able to pray together. Boy, you know, aside from praying over meals, a lot of Christians, a lot of Christian couples really never pray together. Uh, God really honors that, mm. uh, and, and God will really bless that in your life. So I'd highly encourage you, uh, go to uh, amazon.com, Uh, Look up One Minute Meditations by Chuck Smith, Jr. I think you're going to find it a blessing. It's always a a challenge to me. Ours is falling apart because we've gone through it so much. And I just find that the insights that he has into the Word of God and what it means to really apply these things in a practical way are really, really uh, beautiful and really uh, not only challenging in terms of the intellect, but also challenging concerning the heart. So but uh, but whatever you you find you know uh there are all kinds of great brief devotionals that you can read through and that would be a really good place to start but make sure they're they're based upon and focused in on god's
0: word oh, so. i thought i found it and i clicked on it and it didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, th- thanks for sharing Amazon, that. Amazon, you've betrayed us. Yeah, yeah. It showed the book, and I clicked, and then it just said, search for the Messiah. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Well, thank you for that. We have uh, a little bit more time to take some more questions. Um, and, but thank you for that question. Um, Rod wants to know what does it mean that the worlds were framed? By the word of God, uh, Hebrews eleven thirteen. Hebrews 11,
2: 13 doesn't say that. I think he typoed and was supposed to write Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Uh, let me read it. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son. So we got Christ as the topic here. Whom he has appointed heir of all things. So he has a rightful claim and ownership to everything that's already a claimed deity. But notice it doesn't stop there. Through whom he also made the worlds. So he's being credited with creation. And if we remember Genesis 1.1, what does it say as far as who can claim that? In the beginning, God, God created the heavens and the earth. So the worlds would, of course, encapsulate that. Verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, we can get all over that, the book of Isaiah talking about God not sharing his glory with another, yet Jesus having it, the express image of his person that, of course, we beheld his glory, the only, the only the glory of the only begotten of the Son, full of grace and truth, or of the Father, full of grace and truth, John 1.14. But here's where you're asking, and upholding all things by the word of his power. And it goes on to note him sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high after having purged our sins. But upholding all things by the word of his power. This is something that's referenced in the Old and New Testament. Since I've made a lot of references to the Old, may as well go to the New. Uh, this is referenced again in Revelation chapter 4, where at the very, very end of the chapter, the 24 elders were not certain to their identity, but they're up there. And and what their worship of God they give him credit and this is specifically addressing the father you are worthy o lord to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were exist they exist and were created so the one who's sitting on the throne the one who's described as just this unapproachable source of light comparable to a jasper and a sardius stone white and red and just this huge display of power These incredible creatures that we know as cherubim are worshiping God 24-7. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, referencing Ezekiel 1 and Isaiah 6, I believe. But it goes on and on from there and notes that sort of credit to God the Father as someone who not only is the, and this is what you're asking, the introducer of creation, but the maintainer of creation as well, that by his will, or as the author of Hebrews says, by his word, is keeping this world together. And we're also told in 2 Peter chapter 3 that there will be a point where God's will, God's word, will let this creation go. It will go up in what we would call scientifically the heat death of the universe. Uh, there's been plenty of studies that have been made about you know the concept of nuclear glue and this unseen force that just holds everything together in ways that we can't describe, we can just observe. We don't know its source or origin, but we do we can only see its effect. So the point being made is that. When it says in verse 3, upholding all things by the word of his power, it's noting that the will of God not only introduced creation, but he's also personally involving himself in it. You see the Spirit also credited with this in Job 33, where it notes, if the Lord were to withdraw his Spirit from us, all life would return to the dust. That there is that maintaining work of God, as well as the creating work of God.
1: Yeah, and and that certainly is is uh, what we see there. I think the passage uh, about being framed there, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3 says, by faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God, so the things which were seen were not made of the things which are visible. Uh, The idea that the worlds were framed there, uh, the term in the original language carries the idea not of necessarily the worlds as far as planets are concerned, but the ages uh, in which the creation plays out if you will uh you know when uh we see for instance uh, jesus described uh in the book of isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government shall rest upon his shoulders he shall be called wonderful counselor almighty god everlasting father the prince of peace some people have a problem with that because they go well well this is a prophecy about jesus but he's called the everlasting father uh well It literally in the Hebrew carries the idea of the father of the ages or the father of eternity. Uh, You know, all of the ages, all of the seasons, all of the movements, if you will, in God's great symphony, uh, which is his plan for us in this world from the creation uh, that we live in now to the new creation when we enter into eternity. That's it. The, The idea behind that is all of that was framed or fashioned by God that nothing happens by happenstance that that all is a part of uh, the outflow of his sovereign hand so you know when people <clears throat> say the world's were framed by god they get this idea of you know planets being made and things like that that's certainly part of that but the idea behind that is bigger than all of that the the, the literal fabric of uh, reality that god has uh, chosen to use the canvas upon which he has painted reality that that's, that's what that view is there. The, the worlds were framed, the ages were framed, if you will, uh, created by God for his glory. So the lesson, you to cite a
2: verse, make sure you get it. Cause then we have to guess.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Now so. we have one minute to add, maybe answer Peter Burgess's question. Uh, can a Christian, well, the main por- portion of his question is what makes someone not a Christian or how do you lose your salvation perhaps? Uh, can a christian commit suicide murder incest etc and still be a christian are these things the worst sins
2: in a horizontal consequence term yes but in a spiritual relationship with god no all sin is separation and deviation from god's character we started with the broadcast when with it what makes someone a christian is them affirming who jesus is and how he proved it when these things are a part of your life obviously they will naturally through governing authorities cut you off hopefully from the land of the living but if on the other hand we ask does it separate me from God forever no more than lying or cheating or any of these superficial sins the worst sin is the sin of that can't be forgiven and that's an unwillingness to be forgiven yeah and it
1: reminds me of something you say often here on the program Sean just really really quickly um, if you feel like you lost your salvation the best question to ask is where'd you put it mm. you know is it if it's in Jesus you're secure
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We hope that you have a wonderful weekend. We'll be here the same place, same time on Monday. God bless you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time.